Hey there, before this episode starts, I just want to thank Tank again for coming on. It's it's really fun getting to network with other podcasts. Um, uh, also, thank you to our patron, Kevin. Uh, if you'd like to become a patron yourself, you can go to patreon.com slash pastime. But if you'd like to support in other ways, you can follow me on Instagram, Twitter, Spotify, and iTunes, all at Pastime Thinker Podcast. And if you are interested, you can check me out on Twitch as well at uh, pastime underscore streamer. Uh, thanks for listening. Here's the episode. Hello, and welcome to episode 19 of the Pastime Thinker Podcast. I'm your host, Frederick Piquette, and today my guest is Tank Smith, stand-up comedian and host of the Full Service Podcast. How are you? I'm good, I'm good. Thanks for having me on the podcast. I'm excited. Yeah, it's fun, it's fun. Um, uh, so yeah, I don't know what you want to talk about more, the, the stand-up side of your life, the podcast side of your life. Uh... I guess we could start with stand-up. I, I love stand-up. That's, yeah, uh... I'm a huge fan of enjoying stand-up comedy, like... I like as soon as Netflix has a special, I watch it. I I I follow dry bar comedy. Like I do. Okay, yeah. I, like I watch a lot of stand up comedy. I don't think it's something I could ever do, but like I'm definitely curious to see, you know, how you got into it, how it's treating you, any any interesting stories, anything like that. Okay, cool. Yeah. So I got into comedy. I guess I guess so. May was like five years of doing stand up. Oh wow! And so I live in Atlanta now, but I recently I moved to Atlanta, I guess like last summer, from Raleigh, North Carolina. And so I started in Raleigh, and they had a club, Good Nights. Well, they still have a club, Good Nights Comedy Club, and uh, it's probably like one of the best like clubs in the country. And I've been, a, I guess I've been like a stand-up fan my whole life, but I was always like, mm-hmm. I was never really like a public speaker. Like I always like, anytime I had to talk in front of a class at school, I'm fucking sweating bullets, you know, <laughs> I'm super fucking uncomfortable. Yeah. But I mean, like I always like making people laugh and shit as a way to just like diffuse tension or just like make people like you, you know, like oh, everybody sure. has like, everybody has an in, you know, and I'm like, well, let me just make people laugh. And then that's my end, you know? Yeah. And I, I think that's probably where I would not do because, like, I don't know if it sounds selfish, but like, I am my target audience. Like, as long as I'm laughing, I think I'm fucking hilarious. I really don't care if anyone else is laughing with me. Like, if I can make myself laugh, I I, I don't care. I and, feel like though that's what you kind of need, to, like, to be a stand-up, to where it's like, <laughs> I think what I'm saying is funny. Fuck you if you don't. <laughs> and then people respond to that, or yeah. they're like, that guy's obviously not funny. He should yeah, stop. That's what I mean. Like. I don't think I could ever have like a like do you do you just do crowd work or do you have like sets that you prepare going in? Uh I usually have kind of sets or like kind of have an idea of what I wanna say going up. Um but then there'll there'll be plenty of times when like some shit'll happen like before you go on that you kinda have to address at the beginning of your set and then that can kinda lead into kind of crowd work. But usually I try to like have an idea of what I wanna say going up. Mm-hmm. But I mean, you're always going to stray from that, and that's like the goal is being comfortable, like not like straying off the path and still being okay. Yeah. Know? Like either like completely full send committing to like I guess I'm not doing this part I wanted to do, but this is funny, so let's keep going with it, or finding a way to get back to the punchline. Yeah, I mean, it's so much trial and error. Like it's oh, like yeah. you you do these jokes so many times that it's like you kind of know what's going to happen. But just in new new situations will happen, and that just kind of helps you or like build to your like comedian resume. Just oh, like absolutely. some crazy shit happening in the audience, and you're like, "Well, now that I've seen that, like I'm ready. <laughs> I'm ready for that to happen again." You yeah, know? <laughs> exactly. And like, 
I think that's another reason why I couldn't do it. Like, I, I know that trial and error is necessary for anything. It's necessary in everything I do. But I think my ego wouldn't be able to take a hit of trial and error in front of the public. Well, I think you kind of, you, I mean, that's one of the things you kind of got to get used to. Like, if you can't, like, I guess laugh at yourself or be like, you know, that was a bit like I yeah. did a badge. Like, you got to be able to, like, look objectively at yourself. And that's kind of like hard to do sometimes like i really didn't really do it that much until i kind of got into stand-up because you do kind of have to evaluate like what you're doing and like what you're saying and how people mm-hmm. perceive you and shit like that and uh like it just you got to kind of like if if you fuck up you're like well there's always next time you know yeah it's like make up for it you kind of kind of let it roll off your back which is kind of good because like now if i'm like oh well, if you don't like what i'm doing fuck it i'll try it again like it's always there's always yeah. next time. Well, that, that that must be, like, the most confusing thing. Because I would assume that, like, certain jokes really, really land with one audience but not the other. Yeah, that's the, that's the hardest part to where you could, like, do a joke and you're like, oh, my God, this killed. This yeah. is great. You do it again the next day and it, like, doesn't get anything. And, and you're it's like, just crickets. what the fuck? What the, like, what's the difference between, well, like, it could, like, it's it could be, like, one word difference changes the whole, like, like I guess meaning of what you're saying, and if you just like fuck up the words in any kind of way, people are like, "Oh, well, that's not funny anymore." Yeah, it's only funny if you say the words in this order. Yeah, but I mean, yeah, it's all a, really a process. But you kind of get used to shit not working, and also too, you can make it fun for you. You know, yeah. Like if <laughs> if you know something's not gonna hit, like you can just the best thing about stand up is you can just say the craziest fucking shit you ever fucking want. Yeah, like in, in a bar, and then uh people just fucking like i don't like if i know like i'm in a crowded like late night bar they kind of like offensive shit so you might just mm-hmm. like just say something like oh yeah so i got my butthole finger earlier today and then they like, <laughs> kind of turn around and then you're like i got him let's yeah let's say something now funny. that i have your attention <laughs> yeah sometimes you got to say some crazy shit yeah <laughs> and is, is is that like a th- is there like a lot of exaggeration in comedy because i've i've seen like two two sides of that aisle that like yeah, people like Bill Burr, Burt Kreischer, who, well, I think Ke- Kevin Hart also claims that, like, everything they say, there's no exaggeration. Like, that is, like, I am telling you a real thing that happened to me and how I find it funny. And then there are comedians like Anthony Jesselink who, like, just completely make up fictitious stories and they're still funny. Yeah, I think it really just, I guess it probably just depends on you as like a comic and like where you're kind of exaggerating but yeah so mm-hmm. much comedy does like rely on exaggeration mm-hmm. and that's kind of what makes the funny the story funny but like you got to exaggerate at the right places like to where if i'm going around and i'm like yeah i fucked all these chicks and then they look at me and they're like obviously that's not true you know <laughs> uh you gotta you gotta really know where you can exaggerate yeah uh yeah yeah <laughs> Okay, and yeah, so I, I assume, are you, are you doing stand-up full-time then? Uh, not right now, so it's basically, like, it's really hard to do, like, stand-up as your, like, job, you know? Oh, yeah, uh, especially, like, with, with COVID. Yeah, so in Atlanta, the, I mean, I didn't, like, I didn't go up from, like, March until basically, I guess, maybe, like, the beginning of October, because, like, wow. nothing, nothing was happening at all. All there was was kind of, like zoom comedy shows like pretty much everything was dead because like you know you had kind of like covid lockdowns for a while oh yeah and then i had to work from home myself for like a five month stretch yeah 
So like everything was closed. And then I guess you probably saw like the maybe like mid September, like venues kind of started doing like outdoor, like social distance shows. Mm -hmm. And so that's kind of started to pick back up. And so that's happening, but there's kind of like two different, two kind of like opposite, like I guess thoughts in comedy right now to where you got the people that are like, we should be doing comedy. The people need it. You know, this is a fucked up time. People want to laugh. You know, that's, that's one, that's one side. Then you got the people that are like, stand up comedy is not important. It's not worth people dying for. You should not be doing it. I don't agree with that because like they're still filming movies. And, like, you can argue that it's the same premise. Like, people are still filming television shows. They're still filming movies. And, like, people need that. Like, people need a creative outlet. I do agree with that. But also, those people that are uh, filming the movies are also getting paid lots of money. Oh, of course. I know. You know? <laughs> I, I'm just talking about as, like, the consumer. Like, the, the people need it. Yeah, I mean, people definitely, I mean, definitely want an outlet in this time. I mean, you're stuck at fucking home all day. Yeah. You're not good to interact with people. And then there's like, I need a laugh. Let me go to this comedy show, you know? And I mean, people, people are doing like outdoor music stuff. What's the difference? Like people are eating at this restaurant right now. What's the difference between me, them eating and me just like standing. hooking up a PA system Yeah, and just like standing far away from them and talking to them while they eat. What's the, what's the difference, you know? Yeah. Like, well, first and foremost, like as long as it's safe, like I think people need to be able to consume that entertainment. Definitely. For I, sure. I definitely think that that, you know, would be really helpful. Yeah, and I mean the like the like big I guess like institutions in comedy like the comedy clubs and the venues like that have been kind of driving comedy a little bit. Now it'll be kind of on the comedians to make sure comedy kind of lives during this time. Oh yeah, because like with the venue shut down, it's like on comedians to make shit happen. Because if comedians aren't doing shows, then you know comedy's not really alive and shit. Yeah, well that that's the thing, right? If you're not growing, you're dying. Period. Yeah. So like the the industry needs to keep growing somehow through some facet. Like I understand that like the Zoom calls and stuff like that, like they're they're probably good, but like there's there's probably something more organic about being in the same room as the person like talking. Oh, for sure. I mean, it's like I mean, it's two completely different things. Like mm-hmm. <laughs> there's no energy. you can't feel energy from Exactly. Like looking at a fucking screen. I mean, it's solely responded on you, just like bringing the energy and not getting any response. Which is like stand up is fucking call and response. Like I say oh, yeah. something, you either laugh or you don't laugh, and then you say something else, you laugh or you don't laugh. Yeah, it's not just like a monologue to where I'm just saying something, and then well, I mean, did they like it? I don't really know. They like, I guess they sent some hearts in the chat. You know, <laughs> exactly. Like. uh you know, like, I know I say I'm a big fan of stand-up comedy, but, like, I've only actually ever been to see stand-up comedy live once, and it was, like, I think, like, a week and a half before the shutdown got called in Ontario. And, oh, shit. Yeah, I went to go see Jeff Dunham. Oh, wow. <laughs> yeah, and, like, watching his recordings, I know he's hilarious, I always laugh, but, like, being in the stadium, like, it was a completely different experience. How you was know, it? Oh, it, it was odd. He made a bunch of COVID jokes, like, because this was in, like when it was kind of so like, haha, COVID might be a thing, haha. Yeah. Like he, kind of, <laughs> um, uh, he, you know, he took some cracks at Trump because he's in Canada, so who's gonna shoot him, right? Yeah, yeah. But yeah, no, but it was it was a completely different experience than like watching like one of his several recorded shows. Oh, it's way fucking different. Like watching, like I saw. I don't, do you have HBO? I don't know. Uh, I. 
I personally do not have it. I like the only subscription services that I have is just Netflix and Disney Plus, honestly. I feel you. I feel you. Well, yeah, I saw. So uh, Dan Soder, he's a like New York comic. Mm-hmm. He had a HBO special that dropped like last year, Son of Gary, and he was in Raleigh the weekend right before he like filmed for HBO. So like he did, I saw his last show, which was like the late night Saturday show. And then he was filming like Wednesday for his HBO special. So I basically saw the last run of his set before he was filming. And so I saw the live show and then watched the HBO special when it came out. HBO, the special is like so good, but I mean, it's like, doesn't even compare to being there in person like it's mm-hmm. not it's not even close it's people are gonna need live sh- like it's like going to a fucking live concert versus watching like something on tv it's, it's way different oh for sure for sure it is like i don't know it's just i don't know when we're gonna be able to get to a point where that is both like ex- like as accessible as it used to be and as safe as it used to be because they can make it safe but that'll probably make it less accessible or they can make yeah. it more like accessible, but it'll be less safe. Yeah, for sure. I mean, and especially like if I'm looking at like, well, I mean, pretty much every comedy club, the goal, like they make money off of a lot of times just like liquor, food and shit. A lot of times mm-hmm. the headliners getting like all the money from ticket sales. So like their goal is to just pack that place as full as possible and get people drunk and like everybody is fly- like you're all up on people you know in a mm-hmm. comedy club and like that kind of happening like going forward i don't really know. <laughs> like they have shows still but they're just like like it's this is way less people yeah. yeah yeah i don't know like again that's that's something that uh i don't have much experience in Maybe maybe uh, this vaccine will like change. I, I don't know. I, I just it's whether or not like this whole pandemic thing really like changes people's just like like are people going to go to concerts or is there going to be mosh pits like any like is oh for sure are people going to want to be on each other? I mean I feel like once maybe once a vaccine comes out or something then everybody gets it. But who knows how the fuck long that is? Everyone's going to oh, return. Course. And, like, at the same time, like, even if there is, like, vaccine out, like, if you're still in a crowd with a couple hundred strangers, like, it's going to hit your brain a little bit of, like, okay, what are the odds that every single person here got the vaccine? Yeah. <laughs> and, like, I don't know if that's better or worse, because it's, like, I guess it's, like, still anxiety just directed somewhere else. Yeah. Because I know that that's probably where my head would go. It's like, okay, I know the vaccine exists. I know I have it. And I have no idea if the other 99 people here do. Well, I guess you're good though. Like, if you got it, then then you should be fine, then, right? Yeah, I, be- I believe so. Again, I'm no fucking scientist. <laughs> Especially too, I feel like with comedy too, you're like fucking laughing, so everybody's just like fucking spewing their fucking just, shit, just <laughs> breathing everywhere. <laughs> but you know, sometimes it's worth it to see somebody like you might have to get a little COVID, you know? Yeah. <laughs> So yeah, um, uh, you know, do you have any crazy stand-up stories to tell? Any any crazy experiences? I'm trying to think. Do you know who Theo Vaughn is? I absolutely do. Okay, sweet. Yeah, so I I opened up for him like uh, I guess like twice so far. Uh, like so he came to Raleigh in. I guess 2018, and so I did like five sold out shows with him. So fucking, oh, that's so awesome. so sick, dude. He's so like he's the nicest dude ever. I need to know though, is, is his accent real? 
Like does accents, he... accents real? Accents, oh my god, he's not like it's not. Uh, he's not putting that on. I always thought he hammed it up. Like if not the accent, his vocabulary has to be exaggerated because just the way he talks is like it's like coming from a Canadian. Like it is so stereotypical. Like the way he talks is the way Canadians talk to make fun of Americans. Really? <laughs> yeah, <laughs> absolutely. God, yeah, no, he's so funny and like the like just the nicest dude. Like basically, after every show, he'd basically stay and like whoever wanted an autograph or to get a picture, like say what's up. Like he'd stay and like talk to literally everybody. That's awesome. Uh, yeah, and so I opened up for him in Raleigh, and then I guess 2019, like last summer, I was in LA because I, I I moved like basically from Raleigh to Atlanta. And I went out to LA for a week just to hang out with my buddy, and we're at the comedy store like pretty much every night. Oh, you were so, at the comedy? That that's a place I really want to go visit. Is the comedy? Oh store. my duh, you gotta you gotta fucking go! Like it's what I mean. It's such a great spot because it's got like, you know, the original room which is sick, the main stage which has like, I mean, it's probably like seats like two fifty. Mm-hmm. That's a great spot, and then you got the belly room. I mean, it's I mean, oh, it's just like these like famous comedians you see oh, yeah. all. The- all the time just fucking hanging out, right? Have you like ever uh, bumped into or seen uh, Stephen Hofstetter there? I have not. I have oh, not. That's like my dream. I would love to meet him. Hell yeah. He's pretty funny. Oh, yeah. But, yeah, so I was at the fucking comedy store, and, like, I guess Theo and Brendan Shaw were doing, like, a King and the Sting show, and so <laughs> they are hanging out, like, around the side, and Theo was coming to Atlanta like in August. And so this is maybe like June, I guess I was out there. And so I saw him and I was like, yo, what's up, man? He's, he's like, oh, where do I know you from? And I was like, oh, like we worked together in Raleigh last year. He's like, oh, shit, hell yeah. And I was like, yo, I'm actually living in Atlanta now. And uh, I'm, I got tickets to go to your show in August, you know. And this was at the Tabernacle. And I don't know if you've seen Dave, Dave Chappelle's Sticks and Stones. Yep. Okay, so he it was he was performing there, and so I'm like, yo, I got tickets to the show, and he's like, well, yo, you just want to open for me, just like that, just like that, and I was like, what the fuck, and uh, I was like, yes, I would love that, <laughs> you know, and then, uh, but he had to like leave, so he's like, yo, just get my number, just text me or whatever. And uh, at that point, I'm like, how am, I don't have his fucking how am I supposed to text him, you know, I don't have yeah. his fucking phone number. And if you follow him on Instagram, he's got like fucking at least four hundred thousand. So I'm like, there's no way any kind of message is getting through. Yeah, it'll just get drowned out with everyone else. Yeah, I'm like, how do I fucking open for Theo now? Like, I need to get his phone number. So uh, Malcolm Hatchet, uh, he's like a LA LA guy, but he's originally from North Carolina. He's like been on. He was like a regular on Kill Tony for a while. We're friends on Instagram because he had been on the Theo show last year in North Carolina. So I hit Malcolm up and I was like, yo, do you got Theo's number? He uh, told me like I could open for him. I need to like text him to make sure this is like. Yeah, I need this to happen real. now. <laughs> yeah, dude. So I was like, yo, do you got Theo's number? He's like, yeah, don't tell anybody that uh, I sent it to you. So <laughs> the, next, the next day I texted Theo and I was like, yo, uh, hey, it's Tank. Uh I don't know if you were being for real, but I mean, I'd love to open for you in Atlanta. And then he just like gave me an email address to send an email to. And then they looped it. They like, I guess, looped me in like a couple weeks before the show. So it was like me and then Ari Manis and then Theo. So basically I just opened up, did like 10 minutes uh, for both shows. And they're like sold out like fucking like 1600 people. That's awesome. 
And that was definitely <laughs> the best, like, fucking show ever. And how did that set go, if I may ask? The second set was better than the first set. Like, the, uh, so there was two shows, so they kind of, like, there was a lot of people still kind of coming in when I went up the first show because okay. they couldn't push it at all because they, like, had a second show that had to start at, like, 930 or whatever. So when I went up the first time, there was still a lot of people coming in, but it went pretty well. Second show, like they were able to wait and kind of make sure it was basically full before it started. And that shit was, I mean, it was sick. I mean, that's awesome. It was crazy. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) But, uh, yeah, that's probably the best comedy. I mean, but I mean, in terms of worst comedy stories, I mean, there's plenty of fucking open mics at bars. I've had drunk people like come get on stage, try to take the mic away from you. Oh my God, really? I'm funnier than you. Shut up. Not, not even just like people just shit face like just like at seven like seven thirty in the evening you're like oh dude how God. are you how are you fucking drunk this drunk right now this is crazy because they've probably been drinking since noon yeah i feel like i feel like so much of like being like doing stand-up is like going to these shitty like you just really go to these like terrible open mics like so much mm-hmm. and they're just like constantly so horrible that you just become numb to it so when i'm trying to think of like oh what's a bad comedy story i'm like well i mean there were so many i don't even <laughs> i don't even remember that time you did stand up and nobody listened at all and <laughs> you got done and you were like why am i even doing this it happens a lot <laughs> yeah see i don't think i that again i don't think i have like the willpower to, to get through that like i, I mean, don't i don't think yeah. i could do that it's so yeah so much of like stand up you're like why the fuck did i just wait an hour you know or more to go up and then when you go up like half the room leaves or something or like people just aren't paying attention and then you do your set and you're like well i feel worse for doing (laughs) i don't what the fuck but then you do that and then like you get to a show and then like it goes really well, and you're like, well, maybe I'm, maybe, maybe this is the right path, you know? Yeah. And then it's right back. I feel like just the constant like eating shit, just like builds your, uh, I guess, it builds your comedy stamina. So you're like, when you get to like a good show, you're like, holy fuck, I know what I'm doing. Like, mm-hmm. it's like it's like easy mode, you know? Like shows are just like a lot easier just because you're going to the open mics and you're fucking. Oh yeah, because you're probably so like trained at the point that like okay i'm gonna go up and i'm gonna have to deal with difficult people so like you're always ready to deal with difficult people so like as soon as you get a show where there's no difficult people it it probably just feels like you're flying oh for sure and like in atlanta a lot of at a lot of open mics it's a lot of comics that are also there like that make up the audience and they've heard your shit before and they're like definitely it's harder to make a fucking comedian laugh because they've heard fucking everything you know there is mm-hmm. funny you know pretty much and so like if you hear comedians just like kind of just like chuckling a little bit you're like oh man i got something <laughs> it's happening. You know? it's like happening. if you get a little bit from a comic room then you're like from a regular room it's really gonna do well you know <laughs> yeah and is is the thing with intellectual property like as big of a thing as i've been reading like is is comedian stealing comedian jokes like a big thing or is that just yeah. is that a rare thing uh it's not i mean i feel like it doesn't it's i feel it's harder to do in like a smaller scene because like everybody mm-hmm. kind of knows everybody's jokes but i mean yeah def- someone knows like if you say this joke like hey what the fuck that was tank's joke that he said yeah. that literally three days ago literally i had a dude like i have a fucking like sleep apnea joke that i do (laughs) and then i heard this dude do the same fucking like like verbatim like verf i was like dude how the fuck 
Like, and he told me because he came up to me. He's like, dude, I saw you on the Theo show, dude. So funny, right? And uh, I was like, oh, appreciate it, man. You know, he's like, oh, I have a sleep apnea joke too. And so he goes up like probably like three. I wasn't planning on doing it that night. But uh, he goes up probably like four or five people before me and like does like my sleep apnea joke. And, I, and then I'm like, what? I was like, how do you like, how do you? <laughs> how can you you said you were at the show where i did this joke yeah and then you're gonna do like but it's also sometimes like you have a joke come to you almost and you're like oh my god this is so perfect like this is so good like Mm -hmm. this is like did i even did i really think of this like this is like the perfect fucking joke but it's like you like it's sometimes it's hard like but i mean if you hear a joke you it's fucking i don't know but yeah, people get people get mad about stealing. Like I would imagine, because like again, like if you know more into this, like please share. But like, is, is there any way to protect your jokes? Like, can you trademark jokes? Can you like? Is there any repercussions for that guy who stole your joke whatsoever? Uh, I mean, the only thing I mean, besides really being can't... like, I guess, shunned by like the other yeah, comics. That's pretty much the only thing that could happen is just being shunned by comics. And, uh, I mean, if you have it on YouTube, obviously you can be like, Hey, check this out. <laughs> this was yeah. two years ago. This is the joke you're doing. Yeah. But like, it doesn't like all it takes is for him to know your joke, be a couple sets before you and, and get the laugh before you. And you're essentially fucked if you were planning on using that bit. Right. Yeah. 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 But I mean, usually, I mean, that's, that's a rarity, you know, I feel like okay. it's a lot. If you, if you want to look in terms of like stealing jokes, it's probably local comedians stealing like professional comedians jokes more so than like stealing within your same kind of scene you know because mm-hmm. it's like it's way easier to be like yo that's that person's joke what the fuck are you doing but if you're like using somebody's jokes from like that lives in another city or slayer like obscure comic then it's less likely people are going to know but fucking joke stealing is like the one thing that's like comedians are like you're you're fucking at. like you could be like if you look at all these like uh <laughs> like like I feel like comedians frown more on joke stealing than being like a fucking sexual predator or something. Like that. Oh my god! Okay, like Elaborate. it's right. I don't know. Like I like if you like Carlos Mencia, right? Mm-hmm. He stole jokes like a while ago, and like still to this day, comedians are like, "What a fucking piece of shit!" He's a terrible person. But like, if you look at these comedians that have like sexual assault allegations or even like the Louis shit, yeah. you know, people are like, but I mean, he's funny though, you know, but if you steal jokes, then it's like, you're fucking out. Like people hate on Amy Schumer, like so much for stealing jokes more than they hate on Louis CK for being a predator. Yeah. I, I sure. see. I see. So if you steal jokes, that's the one thing that'll fucking ru- that can ruin you for sure. Yeah. And like, I'll brush like slightly brush on playing devil's advocate in terms of like, is there a line between separating like the creator from the art? Like you can hate Louis CK, but you can still think that this joke that he made is hilarious. Yeah. I think, I think there, I think it's definitely, I mean, I think I've watched Louis shit since this whole thing is, I mean, it's hilarious, you know? Mm -hmm. Um, I think you can separate it, but I mean, also too, I'm not really, there's a difference between jerking off in front of somebody versus like Bill Cosby. Who's like, you know, I'm not really watching Bill Cosby and being like, yo, man, he's such a funny guy. Isn't that guy hilarious? Like, you know. Uh, <laughs> Guys, so I think have you a... heard of this great comedian? Bill Cosby. Just discovered him. <laughs> yeah. Not going to look into him. I'm just going to watch his specials. Yeah. So, I mean, I feel like there's like a... 
there's like a thin line. But my, I was talking to my buddy actually about this like earlier today, uh, where he mentioned like J.K. Rowling and how people are able to separate the art from the artist with her because mm-hmm. like she's had a bunch of like trans stuff kind of happen, yeah, uh, within the, like past year I guess. And people are still like, oh my god, I love Harry Potter and like not hate J.K. Rowling. But I think that it's she kind of gets a pass because she's not so like in her art, you know, like she's not. That's in what Harry I mean. Potter. Like. Like I I've spoken to a couple of my friends like not today but like like I've I've had a couple because I'm I'm a huge Harry Potter fan but I think it, it is because she's not really involved in her fan base like she may have created you know the Harry Potter series but she is in no way responsible or has control over the fan base like the fan base is completely almost nearly self governing at this point yeah so I, yeah. I like. I, I kind of believe that, like, that is one thing where you can separate the art from the artist. But I know a lot of people still say, but, like, if you buy the books, you're still giving her money, though. Which I understand. Yeah. It's tough. But, I mean, yeah. But if you're, like, but, I mean, she's not... When you're looking at... When you're, like, reading Harry Potter, you're not thinking, JK. You're thinking about the whole story, you know? Yeah. Like, she's so removed just because it's, like, a whole, like... She's not reading the story or something. You know, she's not involved in Harry Potter. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, like, every now and then she'll, like, tweet something out. Like, I think on the end of, like, on the anniversary of the Battle of Hogwarts, she'll tweet out an apology for killing off a certain character. Yeah. <laughs> like, and, like, and then every now and then she'll just be like, by the way, like, Ron was left-handed for, for no reason at all. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I, I mean, she's trying to get, I mean, it's, it, you still want relevance, you know? Yeah. When, uh... When you created something that was, I mean, she was in the fucking public eye, like, I mean, she was huge, you know? Oh, for sure. Sometimes you kind of want that back, I feel like. I don't know, like, like when I really stopped liking J.K. Rowling as a person is when she went after PewDiePie, like, four or five years ago. Really? <laughs> yeah. Like, I don't know if you're, if you were familiar with that, but essentially... Someone took a PewDiePie clip completely out of context, threw it out in the world, and basically branded PewDiePie as, you know, racist, this, this, that, that, that. And not knowing who the fuck PewDiePie is, J.K. Rowling just jumped on the bandwagon and just, like, started condemning PewDiePie, not knowing who he is, the context of the clip that was played, like, nothing like that. And I was like, that's when I was just like, yeah, she's just, she's pandering. That's fucking hilarious. <laughs> yeah, I think it was during the apocalypse, actually. Yeah, that's yeah, that's funny. <laughs> yeah, when I, yeah, when I saw that, I'm like, why is J.K. Rowling like going after PewDiePie? Some people just see something and like read a headline, and they're like, "Oh my god, I'm fucking appalled!" Retweet, and then they're like, yeah. I should have read that." <laughs> yeah. Oh, absolutely. Just like looked into it a little bit, you know? Yeah. I think the bit that was taken out of context is PewDiePie was doing a bit about grammar Nazis. Okay. So, so he was doing this bit like dressed in like a German military uniform. <laughs> and so, so people just clipped like a picture of him wearing the German military uniform and just like put him on blast. That's so great. Yeah. <laughs> just trolling. <laughs> yeah. And then, like, one thing that they were trying to use for evidence that, like, this is something he supported, this is something he thought of, is he decided to do this really nice thing where, like, he, like, kind of really went through, like, YouTube in its entirety and found, like, 
like the top 50 really, really small YouTubers, like under 100 subscribers that he liked. Okay. So then he just like put it out there. He's like, hey, here's links to like 50 random YouTubers that I like. They're really small channels. Go show them support. And one of these 50 people was like actually a, like a neo-Nazi. And oh, people, God. Yeah. <laughs> Damn. Yeah, and, like, he had to make a whole video saying, like, I didn't know, I didn't know. He just made, like, really cool, like, anime ranking, ep- like, episodes. Like, that's all I knew him for. I didn't I didn't know this. That's so wild, being a neo-Nazi and, into, and also into anime at the same time. Right. <laughs> wow. That's, a, that's such a weird crossover. Yeah, but that, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I'm pretty sure, like, again, it's been it's been a few years. I might be misremembering a few details, but that's how I choose to remember it right now in 2020. I mean, I accept the story as it is. That's a great story. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> oh. But yeah, I'm, uh, I think right now we're going to take a quick break, uh, do a little ad roll, and then uh, I want to talk to you about uh, your podcast afterwards. Okay, sweet. Alrighty, so we will be right back. This episode is sponsored by Brotherhood MFG. Brotherhood MFG is a clothing brand centered around car culture with a fresh style. And with Christmas just around the corner, what better time to purchase that special someone some cool car-inspired clothing? Brotherhood MFG has even given me a special discount code to give to you guys. So if you go to teespring.com slash stores slash Brotherhood MFG and use discount code PASTTIME in all caps, you'll get a 13% discount off the entire store. Also make sure to check out King Tamacross on Twitch. He's a variety streamer and friend of the podcast, so be sure to check him out next time you're looking for some fun gameplay. That's King Tamacross on Twitch. All right, and we're back. Just took a nice little break. <laughs> oh boy, what up? <laughs> yeah, so stand-up comedy aside, you're also the host of your own podcast called The Full Service Podcast. And yep. it's, from, from my understanding, you know, I've listened to a couple episodes. It, it's like, if I had to describe it, it's just about like, you know, sex work education awareness. I'm a champion of it. I, I, that might be strong language, but, but like, I, I was <laughs> I'll looking. Take, I was looking. I'll take, I'll yeah. take champion. Yeah. yeah, I was looking for a synonymous word, and it didn't come to me. But, <laughs> but uh, yeah, like, uh, how did how did you get into making a podcast specifically about sex work? Yeah, so I guess it's kind of a long story. So I was in a relationship for like I guess like eight and a half years from like 19 to like 28 and when i got out at 28 i was like what the fuck am i like gonna do i guess like because also with doing stand-up i'm like well there's no way i can really be in a relationship with anybody because i'm going out like mm-hmm. pretty much every single night like doing stand-up and you know i saw myself i was going to be moving from raleigh to atlanta at some point and so i'm like i'm not really trying to be in a relationship with somebody but also like at the same time, like me and my ex before we broke up hadn't fucked for like a long time. And so I was like, well, I'm still trying to fuck though. And also, but I'm, <laughs> but I'm not also going to do like, I'm like Tinder and like Bumble and shit's played out. So I was like, well, let me f- try to get an escort, right? Okay. And, uh, and now I'm not f- entirely familiar, you know, cause I'm from Canada, but like that's illegal, right? Yeah, that's illegal. Okay. You know? <laughs> I believe but, uh, it shouldn't be, but. It is. Yes. Yeah, so yeah. So pretty much. I mean, only other than other than like a few places, like say like like in Nevada, some places, and I mean it's pretty. Yeah, it's pretty much like illegal. Um, but I mean, yeah, I smoke weed, so I mean, doing like I guess like oh, that's been legal in Canada for a while. Illegal, <laughs> illegal things. You know, I'm like, yeah. oh, it's, I'm. I mean, I'll, I'm okay breaking the law or whatever. Yeah. Um. And so, like, I saw some sex workers, like, uh, in. 
like I guess the first person I saw was in like uh, the mountains of North Carolina, and so the mountains I saw... of North Carolina. That that <laughs> <laughs> so beautiful. Uh, so yeah, so I saw somebody like in basically like Asheville. I went on this binge where it was like Memorial Day weekend, 2018, and I think I saw like I went to a strip club Saturday, saw an escort Sunday, strip club escort Monday, strip club escort Tuesday. Wow! And I think strip club like Wednesday or something. Like it was fucking wild. You went on a you know a bit of a bender. Yeah, <laughs> and. uh like I guess whenever I spoke, whenever I like what I would talk to people like about because I mean doing stand up, I mean I'll tell people what I'm doing. Like I don't like I'm not ashamed of you know this shit. So I talk to people mm-hmm. and like what they saw like seeing an escort was or like sex workers in general was just like way off in my opinion. And uh, so I was like, well, let me if I could do a podcast where I could just like because I mean I like talking to people and like finding out their stories and stuff. Oh yeah. And if I could do a podcast where I, like talk to sex workers then hopefully that'll kind of like change the perception of what people have of like who sex workers are, like what sex work is, who clients are, who the people that seek out sex workers are mm-hmm. and like start like kind of like a dialogue around it just because people don't know like anything at all, you know, like he, you'll see some shit on TV and like assume that that's what it is. But until you like oh, talk yeah. to somebody that's in that job, you're like, holy shit, I didn't know that this is what, you know, being a cam girl was. I didn't know this is what somebody who sold panties, like what that was like, you know. And so my goal was just to talk to like as many different people as possible that like work in sex work. Yeah. Because uh, there, there's, there's many different shades of sex work. Yeah. So, I mean, you have anywhere from like, like I mentioned, like people that sell panties uh, people that do like camming, people that do OnlyFans, people that do massage, people that do like full service, like escorts. Mm-hmm. Uh, like, there's so much in that fucking realm. And I'm just trying to talk to everybody, you know? So we can, like, just so we have light on it, you know? Because, like, what oh, yeah. you don't, it just bring light to shit, you know? Because so many people are doing it and so many people are like uh, customers of it. Then why are we not fucking talking about this thing? Well, I, I think because. I mean, again, you can completely correct me if I'm wrong, but, like, either it, it is that what it is, or it's because of the way society makes it look like, but, like, I feel like when it comes to sex work, like, there might be, like, a level of shame on both participants, both, you know, the consumer and the, the supplier. Yeah, 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 they try to, like, yeah, they try to, like, make it seem like it's, like, a you're doing, like, a bad thing by uh like seeking out this service or like a bad thing by like providing the service to somebody where like people just need fucking like human connection human touch and like the fact that you're like for sure paying paying for it makes it like somehow invalidates what you're doing you know yeah like because yeah. if you nah, yeah it's crazy yeah because like i was i just watched uh i don't know if you anthony padilla he uh, oh. he does this. He he's one of the two people from Smosh, but he 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 left Smosh. But he he's doing his own thing now, where like he spends a day with blank. Okay. And he did an episode where he spent a day with professional cuddlers. And Dude, like, hell yeah! <laughs> <laughs> that that is what these people do. You pay them. It's completely non-sexual. Uh, you pay them, and they just cuddle with you and nap with you, and that that's that's the entirety of the exchange. And yeah, yeah. I was like, you know, that's just like a step away from some forms of sex work. 
Yeah, I mean, essentially, that's all. Like, you you could consider those people like actually sex workers. Some people would, uh, but yeah, it's it's like some people just need like touch, connection, mm-hmm. and just because you're paying for it, like it's like it somehow makes it a bad thing. Like, I interviewed a dude yesterday, and he was telling me that when he initially like sought out like seeing a sex worker. It was like literally to have somebody just like hold his hand, you know, he's like really likes intimacy and wanted his hand held mm-hmm. as like an awkward dude. And he's like, I don't want to like go on Tinder, go to bars for this, hired a sex worker and literally just like had like just like being held and like had their hand held. And he was like, it was the greatest fucking thing ever. Uh, so much of like seeing an escort or seeing like an in-person sex worker might not even be the sex. It's just like the connection that you have like. Or like them making you feel good and shit. It's not even necessarily like the actual like, di- like put penetrative sex. It's like just like the connection and them making you feel like love or affection or oh, something yeah. that you might not have at all. You know, you know, either in all honesty, like they're they're supplying a demand because like yeah. you know, there's a lot of lonely people, right? And that is like a very basic human need is just yeah. some level of human connection. Yeah, and like because yeah. Like I was, I was talking to, I guess, a couple that I interviewed, like I guess last week, and they were saying like they had somebody that hadn't been like touched in like six months at least, you know, like by another person, and it's like how how is it a bad thing if like so say like an old person hasn't been like touched or been like intimate or like held in like fucking years, and then they just like pay somebody to do that for them, so like mm-hmm. real, like to make them feel good, yet that's like a bad like it's it's crazy. Yeah. I, I definitely agree with you. Like, it's something that that's always confused me in terms of, like, it's just, you know, it's a demand. They're they're supplying a demand. Like, that's that that's pretty well the only way I've ever kind of seen it. Uh, again, and really the only kind of, like, education I've had about it was, like, in high school. I went to a Catholic high school, and they were just like, oh, like, sex work is sex trafficking, and, like, here's the dark underbelly of the sex trafficking world, and, like, that that was what they drilled into our head, was that, like, the only way to, like, end up in this profession is if you get, like, kidnapped as a kid, that you get, like, brainwashed yeah. into thinking this is something you have to do. Is If you're doing this, it's because you're getting taken advantage of. Yeah, and like that's like so not like the the narrative in so many cases, which is crazy. Like it's like have people that have like been like healthcare professionals, people that have been teachers, people that have have college degrees and shit, and they're like, I choose to do this because this is what I want to do, yeah. rather than like, I mean, there are definitely survival sex workers that are doing it because they don't have any other option, and that's the fastest way for them to make money. But a lot of people that's not the case for like so many other sex workers. And then they try to paint it to where it's like, Oh, it's all trafficking when a lot of people are like adults deciding to do this as a, as a legitimate profession. Like, like going into this career, like as like a fully formed, well thinking adult choosing this, then that, that, that can't be the case then. Right. Yeah. It's like, what it's like, it's a lot of like what, what happened or what led you up to that. Um, which is like what I explore a lot in the podcast is just like finding like what was your view before getting into sex work like how did like how did you get in like that's what I want to know yeah and it's just like so many so not the case that it's like a negative like I guess point that drove people to it you know it really just depends on the person yeah for sure I mean again like I, as a kid like I was always like scared like well not not that I was I was always like taught to be scared of that entire realm. 
because it's just it's dangerous. You're gonna catch something like you're gonna get an STD, or you yourself are gonna get kidnapped. Or mind you, where I'm from, I'm from a very small northern town, like yeah. in Canada. So like what they were talking about, very much. If it was going on, it was going on on a very very small scale where I was yeah. from. But when I went to college in Toronto. Like, that's when, like, a lot of stuff I was taught as a kid started coming up. It's like, okay, I need to avoid these areas because, you know, someone's going to try and do this or someone's going to try and, like... Okay, because, yeah, Toronto's, like, a huge city for for uh, sex work. Yeah. So, yeah. But it's, yeah, it's crazy. Like, they put... There's so many narr- narratives that are put on sex work. Like, you mentioned the ST, STD thing. Like, it's so funny because, like, sex workers are some of the most, like, careful people around their health because it's, like, if you fucking get sick you can't work and shit and so like sexual health is so important to them yet so many other people that are not sex workers just out here fucking like whatever you know yeah that's what i mean like not getting tested and shit and like sex workers are some of the most tested people and like careful people but that's not how it's portrayed it's like oh man i don't want to get std like i mean yeah it's crazy yeah i did i don't think it's on netflix anymore but i did watch like a documentary on uh like the life of like uh, porn actresses, okay, and like yeah, they get like tested like once a week or so, something ridiculous like that. Like, oh, super super so, often. So much testing, yeah. And like after I saw that, I'm like, okay, well, like yeah, that does make sense. Like as long as they're keeping track of it, but at the same time, it's like one of those like if you hire a sex worker, how are you to know if they're if they're keeping track of that? Because again, because it's not legal, there's no way to like keep track of everything and like know like. I don't want to call it a rating system because that sounds demeaning, but like knowing like where this like the the like knowing with certainty the safe, unsafe, unsure, you know, kind of demographic is. Yeah, yeah. Which could but be, it's really just like if there's a reliable person, then you know, then they should, then you're like this person is like keeping track of their sexual health, you know, like mm-hmm. pretty much every everybody's like super conscious of that, you know. Mm-hmm. Well, and it's something to, because again, it's not that, like, I'm saying they don't. I'm just saying, like, because it's illegal, there's no way to prove that they are. And it's just such, like, a ridiculous issue that could be very easily solved had they just, like, legalize it, regulate it, make it safe. Yeah. Like, from, like, a bureaucratic point of view. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Like a lot of a lot of sex workers actually push for not necessarily legalization, but just like decriminalization to where okay. it's not necessarily under kind of like government uh, control. Just because a lot of like governments will pass policies that they think are helping, but like hurt the communities that they're trying to help. Uh, like if you look at like a like in 2018, there was a law that was passed, like SESTA-FOSTA, and it was, like, designed to, like, cut down, like, on basically, like, trafficking, and so it made, like, a lot of websites where sex workers use for, like, safety tips or, like, screening, and it took, like, a lot of those offline. Oh, wow. Because it, ba- it basically made, uh, like, if you post anything kind of, like, it made basically websites liable for the content that users post on their website. So say people are talking about sex work on their website, that website could be like held liable for those people talking about sex work and them almost facilitating trafficking because like a lot of people see sex work as like, there's not really a difference between sex work and trafficking. So, uh, it, 
put the onus on these uh, websites to like be responsible for the shit that people post. So a lot of people's like that's when Backpage basically shut down in you in the states, and a lot of like websites like went overseas because of these laws that are supposed to like protect people from trafficking, but it really just like hurt sex workers. Yeah, and like wasn't there a thing about a year or so ago in terms of like uh, like cam girls uh, and like paying taxes and stuff like that and what- yeah they tried to like go after cam girls i'm not really sure sh- i'm like i'm not really sure the details on it but i definitely remember seeing something about it yeah like they wanted to i i guess like donations and tips that you get while well, that cam girls got like counted as income i guess so because they weren't declaring taxes on it like the people were trying to like out all these cam girls like oh she's not paying her taxes and like ratting out all these cam girls to uh, the irs i could see that happening yeah no, I definitely, remember, I definitely remember a cam girl thing happening, but I'm not sure the details. But I'll take your word for it. Yeah, that's again, <laughs> that, that, that's just how I remember it. I know that's the second time I say this, but like that, I'm just reporting it as I remember it. I could be off on a few details. Oh yeah, I'm, I'm gonna look it up when we get off here, just so I'm like, it's just so I know what I'm talking about, you know? Oh, for sure. But yeah, I'm. Uh, you know, you're about uh, mid sixties into your episodes now. Yeah, yeah. Uh, last week was, I guess, 62. I got 63 coming out on Tuesday. That's awesome. That's awesome. So you must have, you know, just learned. You must have learned so much more than when you first started. Like, what started as a curiosity is probably now just a, an ongoing conversation. Yeah, like, I didn't know anything what the fuck. I, like, I didn't know what the fuck I was doing when I started out. Like, literally, I was like, you know, I want to do this podcast. I want to talk to people about sex work. But even like just like even the questions that I ask people have evolved mm-hmm. so much for so much more uh, from the beginning. And uh, I, yeah, I've le- I've learned so fucking much. It's just like everything with the, like you like as you do something more, you get better. So the more I talk to people, the mm-hmm. more I learn. I'm like, oh, I know what question to ask, and like uh, for sure. Have you have you used anything you've learned through the podcast in your standup? Uh, are those as of right now like two completely separate worlds for you i don't i guess i don't really talk about stuff from the podcast on stand-up it's more like it's more so like my personal experience with like sex workers and stuff so i do i will joke about that but i haven't really had anything from the podcast that i've used in stand-up just because i feel like it's kind of like a per like well i'm not trying to I didn't mean like like anybody's personal stories. I just meant like things that you've learned through the podcast to like incorporate into your comedy at any way in any way. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. I definitely, yeah, I definitely have for sure. That's cool. But yeah, I'm. Uh, so yeah, you've been doing it for sixty two episodes now. I'm. Uh, any memorable guests or anything that? Because like you've you've you know interviewed a wide range of guests. Yeah. I mean, it's like just like the the different perfect like I've had people that have like I think one of the first interviews I did uh, this lady, she basically was a nurse. She got cancer, then started working as a sex worker to like pay off basically her like fucking like chemo uh, bills and shit. Um, I've had people like I interviewed. There's a lady, uh, Dalma Rosa. She has like a panty selling podcast and uh, she's based in Spain, but she's uh, like Scottish. And so I interviewed her, talked about like the whole like panty selling market. Um, I've had like porn stars on. We talked about like, the AVN awards. Uh, in terms of like, I, uh, I, this dude I was talking to yesterday, he was telling me a story 
of a lady that he used to work with and this this client he basically wanted uh, <laughs> he had a couple actually good stories oh, wow. a client basically he'd he'd fly a girl to him and she'd like fly in the day before and then basically around like 4 a.m like he's really into like like expensive coins expensive coins yeah so basically he would hide coins around the (laughs) his house and then basically have her like uber over to his house or however get over to his house from the hotel like break into his house at like four in the morning and like try to find all the coins (laughs) like without waking him up or, like, I, I don't know if he'd wake up, but, like, basically, she'd find the coins, and every time she'd find a coin, she'd be like, ooh, I found a coin. But, like, I don't – something with her, like, she he'd basically, like, have her break into his house and, like, find coins in the middle of the night. Uh, so it's not all – definitely not all sex. Like, that's what I was like, about to say. Like, how does that even, like, count as sex work? Like, that that's just – that's just funny. That's just, like, spending time with somebody, you know? Like, yeah. a lot of – like, so much, especially even, like, longer dates, it's, like, not – people like it's like you're like spending time with somebody that's really what it is you know mm-hmm. and make making them feel good so and uh <laughs> this other this other story he had was i guess this guy would like dress up in basically like a like one of those skin tight suits you know where that like even covers your head like you'll see sometimes runners wear okay and uh she'd dress up like spider-man and basically like chase him <laughs> around the city Around the city. Like around, yeah, I think like New York or Boston or something. So, oh, my I mean. Lord. I mean, yeah, like <laughs> what little like in-person experience that I've ever had with escorts specifically was when I was working in Toronto. I, I worked in a VIP movie theater in the kitchen. Okay. And I guess this guy was this regular. He was like this ancient old man. Like he must have been like 300 years old minimum. Yeah. Um, uh, <laughs> And he was a regular and he was always, always there with, and it was always, it would always be two extremely attractive women, never the same two women. Nice. And he would just, he would ball out. Like he would buy the most expensive wine. He would buy the most expensive food. Like he was, he was just there to spend money. That's dope. And yeah, he would just show up and give him a wave and like, just watch him have a great time. See, that's that's who I want to be one day. <laughs> <laughs> Just expendable income incarnate. How is I guess cuz I guess in Canada sex works technically not like illegal. How is it like guess like seen up there? It's something where like again, this is just I have no I have done no research into the Canadian sex work. It's something like escorting isn't illegal but paying for sex is. So yeah. If, so if you pay for an escort and they so happen to want to sleep with you afterwards, it's okay. Yeah, it's fu- it's crazy. Like it's like you can be an escort but you can't pay an es- like pay an escort. Like it's it's so weird yeah. to where they put the illegality on the clients client side of it but it really doesn't because i i uh i guess i looked at this like episode where i kind of broke down this like decriminalization legalization article that the aclu did and uh it looked a lot at the like nordic model which is basically what is in canada Mm -hmm. to where it doesn't really keep sex workers any safer by like if, if if it's completely 
illegal for the client and the sex worker making it illegal for the only the client really didn't do anything in terms of safety yeah. for sex workers at all you know so. yeah well, yeah that that's that was my only experience with it like just watching it be like oh that's what they look like <laughs> kind of thing or that like that's what this looks like yeah yeah and but like, yeah toronto toronto is a huge city for it oh i could yeah it, it absolutely is it's toronto is huge I don't, what, uh, I don't know. I don't know if you've ever how, been. Oh, sorry. I, no, yeah, I, I've never been to Toronto. Okay. I was going to ask how. Are you in Toronto now? Is that where you're based? Uh, no, no. I uh, I'm from a small northern town in Ontario, about eight hours north from Toronto. Oh shit! Yeah. Ooh. Yeah. How is yo? Do y'all got daylight daylight savings time? This is unrelated. Oh yeah. You got that? Okay. Yeah. What's this, <laughs> this is a dark <laughs> <laughs> no, we don't have daylight savings in Canada. Bro, fuck, daylight savings time fucking sucks down here. Like, yeah, we get the sunset. Well, actually, like the sun's kind of on its way down right now. Actually, Jesus like, Christ, we usually get the sunset around four thirty-five o'clock. Oh my god! Yeah, it's <laughs> the worst thing ever. I was in, I was, I was at the beach last week, and uh, yeah, the sun like set at like five fifteen, and I'm like, what? What's the point of this? Yeah, I. It's super unrelated. It's <laughs> like fuck daylight savings time. It's really annoying. I mean, it's. I mean, I guess we got to sleep in an extra hour that one day. That was about it. It doesn't make it worth it. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, I'm. Uh, yeah, I'm small northern town, eight hours north from Toronto. Okay, cool. I went to school oh. in Toronto. Lived in Toronto for three years. Okay. And I'm, yeah, I've had a few guests that were from Toronto on the podcast. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, yeah, I, I lived in North York. I worked right in Dundas Square, which is, like, downtown Toronto. Like, the oh. down, like the downtown. Nice. And, uh, yeah, I, I'm now living in a slightly larger town than my hometown. That's actually the dead-ass middle point between my hometown and Toronto. I, I currently live four hours south from my hometown and four hours north from Toronto. Oh, okay. Nice. So that that made things a little bit easier because well not with COVID now but like I did go to Toronto um uh, quite often within a year I I went to college for um uh, acting um, okay uh, yeah acting for camera and voice specifically not theater acting um uh, okay so yeah me and a couple people that I, I graduated with we we kind of threw a little thing together and every now and then we get together and you know we we shoot a short film together and we we participate in a in a film festival. Oh, sweet. Fuck yeah. Yeah. We could not do it this year because the film festival specifically that we were doing this year is in October. Or, okay. Well, it always takes place in October. It's called the 48-Hour Film Festival, which is it's, – it's fun as hell, but it's, it can be stressful where you have 48 hours to write, film, edit, and submit a short film. And you have – three variables that have to be included there's a line of dialogue that has to be in the script there's a character that has to make an appearance and there's a prop that you must use and you don't get these three things until the timer starts that's pretty cool yeah we've we've done it two years in a row now this was supposed to be our third year in a row but covid ruined it is it international like it can it is is it okay Cause I'm like, I feel like I might've heard of that before. Yeah. So it, it takes place first. It's at like a local level. So like Toronto will do it like multiple cities around the world will do it. And then it goes on a, I think a country level. So then like after like everyone in Canada is done, like 
all the winners from the individual cities in Canada will go up against each other, and then it's uh, a global one. So like there's there's oh. three stages to it. That's pretty cool. Yeah, and I f- I feel like that'd be a lot of fun doing that. Oh, it is, but you get very little sleep. The, yeah, I mean, yeah. The the only thing that well, not the only thing. One of the things I enjoy most is because since it's like right in the middle of October, I don't know if you get like this is gonna be another Canada versus the USA, but like uh, McDonald's Monopoly. Oh yeah. <laughs> it always lands during the same time that they're doing McDonald's Monopoly, so we always make sure that we all go to a twenty four hour McDonald's, nice. and then that's where we go to write the script, and then we all just share a Monopoly board. Do y'all still have? Like, it's still, Monopoly still goes on? Oh, yeah. Well, I think oh, it just man. finished, actually. Oh, man. They got rid of it here. Oh, entirely? Yeah. So, oh, my God. You, if you if you like the Mon- uh, McDonald's Monopoly game. It's the only so, reason I eat McDonald's. So, HP- <laughs> HBO. You got to get fucking HBO, right? So, okay. they did a documentary called uh, McMillions, basically. Okay. To where the, the uh, McDonald's Monopoly game in the U.S. was rigged. Like the oh. million dollar million dollar prize and a couple of the other top prizes like didn't exist. No, they basically all be given off to the guy. Like, so the pieces were printed in Georgia, like outside of Atlanta, uh, at this like printing facility, right? And they were the security company that worked with the I guess company that was because they also did a. Uh, like lottery tickets too. Like they're the okay. same company that did like lottery tickets printing the game pieces. And they had security basically in there 24 seven. And they had a guy who was responsible for like delivering the game, like the million dollar game pieces to the different, uh, like oh, wow. guess, McDonald's places or whatever. And so he was basically like stealing the top pieces and then like <laughs> auctioning them off with this dude who also was in the fucking mafia. Oh, wow. Yeah, and like the FBI found out about it, <laughs> and I mean, it was, HBO did like a five part, uh, five piece like mini docu series on the fucking Mc- McDonald's Monopoly game. It's so wow. good, it's called McMillions. Check that. Shit I mean, out. did it just get recently canceled? Uh, well, no, it was just like a, a one time. It wasn't a. It was just like a, like a, a one run thing. Like it was just like oh. a five, like a five episode. Like hour long documentary on. Oh the no! I mean the I mean the McDonald's monopoly. Like, did that happen this year? No, they haven't had it in the U.S. for a couple of years. Oh wow! Okay, yeah. Then yeah, no, it's still going on in Canada. Yeah, yeah. So they probably <laughs> they probably kept. Oh man, the good old the McDonald's monopoly game. That shit was fun <laughs> as fuck. It's the only reason I get McDonald's, and it's only during that time of year. Damn. Good times. I miss it. Y'all are living in the past. It's great. We're living. No, this is the future. <laughs> no, we get the sunset at like four o'clock. This is definitely the past. Damn. <laughs> oh, I mean, well, yeah. I'm. Thank you for coming on, first of all, and uh, let the people know where they can find you. Yeah. So the podcast. We're on Instagram and Twitter at Full Service Pod. I am at Tank Funkadelic. Uh, we, oh, patreon.com slash full service pod. Follow us on Patreon. And if you just Google us, you'll find us full service with Tank Smith or full service podcast. You'll find us, us, give us a follow and, uh, you know, check it every new episodes, every Tuesday, I interview sex workers from like all over the world and, uh, it's a good time. Check it out. Absolutely. All right. Well, thank you. And thank you everyone for listening and bye-bye.